You're listening to Season 7, Episode Number 9 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is George Robinson. We discuss his latest work, Generational Disciple Making, how ordinary followers of Jesus are transformed into extraordinary fishers of men. A fascinating book title, fascinating book, fascinating conversation. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. My guest today on Strike the Match is a guy that I have known for many years, greatly admire this brother and greatly respect him. He is both an academician and a practitioner. He's a scholar, and he's one who's also in the trenches as well. He keeps one foot in the classroom training leaders of leaders, and he keeps one foot in the field uh, with uh, people as he shares the gospel, seeks to make disciples, and and teach others to walk in the way of Christ. Uh, Dr. George Robinson is the guest today on Strike the Match. He is the professor of global disciple-making, uh, serves uh, also as one who holds the Bailey Smith Chair of Evangelism. All of that he's doing at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he has been teaching for many years, uh, since 2008. 2008. Uh, he and his wife, Catherine, uh, have uh, three children, and he is the author of other books, uh, one titled 40 Questions About the Great Commission uh, that he uh, co-authored is an excellent resource that I want to commend to you and recommend uh, to you in, uh, in your studies. But today... Our conversation is about his latest book that has just come off the press, uh, Generational Disciple-Making, How Ordinary Followers of Jesus Are Transformed into Extraordinary Fishers of Men. And so this is an exciting uh, topic to be discussing. Uh, It's a book that uh, if you are in the world of social media, you've probably seen a lot of people referencing this book and talking about this for the past several weeks. And so it's an honor and a delight to have George Robinson here with us on Strike the Match. So, brother, want to welcome you to the show. Uh, Thanks. Appreciate you having me, J.D. Man, you... um, have have an interest that I think uh, some of our listeners would find quite fascinating, and that is, uh, as I've talked to you over the years, I have found out that you are a cyclist, and uh, I'm not talking about a Schwinn 10-speed. <laughs> yeah, me and um, those little satin shorts, that would not be a pretty fight. So. <laughs> hey, man, so you just got back from Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, That's correct. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing there, why you went there, and what this has to do with with riding. Absolutely. So, yeah, I uh, rode about 600 miles from the town of Wake Forest down to Daytona last Friday. Uh, been working uh, for on a motorcycle. years. <laughs> for, on a for, motorcycle. For those of That's you right. that were wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I was on my Harley Davidson Ultra Classic. So um, been working for years uh, consulting and coaching with some of the leadership of a ministry called Hellfighters. Um, Hellfighters is made up of uh, 
whole group of ragamuffins, some of whom have come out of addiction, some of whom have come out of prison, some of whom have come out of um, uh, being a part of uh, what they call one percenter or outlaw uh, motorcycle clubs. But now uh, they're disciples of Jesus and they're seeking to share the hope of the gospel with people who are far from God. So that's what I was doing. I was down uh, spending time with those leaders. We have a, a prayer tent and look for opportunities to uh, pass along uh, not only the hope of the gospel, but opportunities to pray for people and to encourage and do a little bit of counseling as well. You know, one of the things that I, I've admired about you over the years, brother, that's connected to this and, and just other things that, that you do in and around your community uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina, is, is how you really try to find ways to get out of the classroom and, and connect with unbelievers. Uh, you know, as you well know, those of us that are in the halls of academia, we can spend 24-7 for the most part, you know, in that environment with Christians. Uh, but you, you really have found a way that connects your passion of writing with people who are not followers of Christ, uh, people far from God, that also have that passion as well. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it was really an intentional decision about a decade ago uh, when I bought my first Harley. I I grew up riding motorcycles, but never had a Harley. But I'd been uh, teaching here at Southeastern for about four or five years and um, noticed that a lot of people here in the community, as soon as they ask that uh, getting to know you question, what do you do? Uh, well, I'm a teacher, and where do you do it? Well, at Southeastern, what do you teach? Evangelism. Okay, <laughs> thanks for the conversation. And they would turn go the other oh, way. Oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. You see the wall um, build right in front exactly, of your eyes. Exactly. So, you know, what I realized uh, is that the motorcycle community, uh, the commonality of being on two wheels uh, breaks down all kinds of boundaries. And so those people don't care what my title is. Uh, they care more about uh, where I'm riding, what I'm riding, um, what my experiences have been. And so it just gives me a great opportunity to uh, initiate conversations, you know, generally uh, through which I lead with the gospel. Mm. I tell them my story. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I know that you do quite often in your uh, your lectures, your presentations, and your writings uh, is is share those aspects of your life, share those stories of how how you you move from the, the scriptures to, to to ordinary conversations. And so, I want to get us into talking about your latest book, Generational Disciple Making, because there's a lot of that practical discussion uh, in this book. So, you know, subtitle: How Ordinary Followers of Jesus. Uh, are transformed into extraordinary fishers of men. Uh, for those of the listeners that are not familiar with um, the writing, they're unfamiliar with this book at this point in time. What what is the what's the story behind uh, generational disciple making? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, whenever I share my testimony, it always goes back to uh, two different encounters that I had all the way back in 1991. I'm a uh, graduate of the University of Georgia, but while I was still a student there, I was far from God, um, not going to church. Uh, I had heard the gospel, been exposed to it as a child and as a teenager, but had uh, walked away from anything related to that when I started as a student at Georgia and had two encounters in a single week in January of 1991. One was a guy named Eric who approached me at a bus stop 
and just started sharing the love of Jesus with me. Um, at that time, I had my black leather biker jacket on and my mullet that would make Billy Ray Cyrus envious. <laughs> um, so I was not exactly the most uh, approachable figure. And quite frankly, I kind of scoffed at him and walked away from that conversation. But it was a week later that a chicken farmer named Ronnie um, ended up proclaiming the gospel to me uh, again. And um, I broke. I surrendered to Christ January 25th, 1991. And so whenever I share my story and I talk about how a chicken farmer uh, is the one who led me to faith in Christ and discipled me, that always begs uh, a dozen follow-up questions. And that's what precipitated this book, because that man who was a chicken farmer and then later added pigs to his farm uh, has a a downline of disciples that is just nothing short of phenomenal. It's a God thing uh, to look at the number of people that he poured his life into uh, and how they're serving God in different places all over the world. So that's really kind of the foundation of this book. Um, he actually contributed a chapter to the book. It's an edited volume I put together uh uh, kind of a framework for uh, different people to write within. Uh, first of all, they share their story, and then they give a scriptural foundation for um, uh, some principle of discipling, and then uh, they talk about their, at the end of each chapter, they speak of their disciple-making legacy, how they have passed that on uh, to others through their various ministries. And so that's where the, the book was birthed from. How did a chicken farmer... Uh, disciple me, and then what's been the fruit of that uh, since? Well, speak, speaking of Ronnie and the as the chicken farmer slash evangelist uh, discipler, uh, can you share with us uh, a little bit more about maybe how he shaped your life uh, as a follower of Christ, and and how how you you took that which was instilled within you to multiply yeah. to others? Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, I, in chapter two, I kind of share a little bit of my story. Um, uh, sharing about my testimony. My dad um, uh, uh, was not a follower of Christ, not a, a believer, um, very influential. We were super close. Um, when I came to faith in Christ, um, my dad was kind of shocked at the change in my life mm -hmm. because we had at one time partied together, you know, and Ronnie, in many respects, became like a father to me, especially when uh, faced the the tragedy uh, about two years after I came to faith in Christ. Uh, my dad committed suicide, mm -hmm. and Ronnie was one of the first people to my home and uh, just walking with me through that journey. But even before that, he had laid a foundation, uh, was like a spiritual father to me, uh, inviting me into his life. Uh, J.D., I, I tell you, you know, I'd I didn't have training or anything. I was a, a senior at the University of Georgia and then went on to become a high school history teacher um, while Ronnie was discipling me. But five days after he led me to faith in Christ, he said, hey, meet me at the church. And I met him at the church on a Tuesday night and got in his truck. And the next thing I know, we're in a garage and he's sharing the gospel with somebody. And he gets about halfway through and he says, George, why don't you tell him about it? You just experienced this. Like, no no training on how to share your testimony, no gospel track, no nothing. Just tell them your story. Tell them what Jesus just did for you. And so I oftentimes tell people, like, 
because I was discipled by a man who loved to engage people with the gospel, there's just never been a time in my Christian walk that um, I didn't have a view for reaching out to people who are far from God because it's what he uh, instilled within me from the very outset. And so many other things, you know, as a young man uh, in those days, Saturday nights could oftentimes be hard. There are a lot of things pulling at you and, uh, Ronnie had this habit of inviting all the college kids to come out to his farm on the weekend. Hmm. We'd roll in and uh, pick up a basketball and start shooting hoops. And he'd come across the field in his tractor and uh, light the grill, go inside and take a shower, come back out, cook some burgers and shoot hoops with us a little bit. And then we'd go in his home and he'd say, all right, guys, it's time for us to pray. And there'd be 15 or 20 of us. And he'd get down on his knees and just start talking to God. And we learned how to pray by watching Ronnie pray and by praying with him. And then he'd say, okay, let's, let's get a word from God. And he'd open the scriptures. And we learned how to study the scriptures um, by his model, his example. So uh, in, in so many different facets, J.D., he really just invited me into his life so that I could see what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus and a fisher of men. Wow. You know, as as you as you share those stories, the the thing that comes to my mind is is obviously, you know, Jesus's example and of course from a contemporary, you know, perspective, you know, Robert Coleman's master plan, you know, of evangelism, you know, is quite a popular work and many of our listeners out there are familiar with that work. Um Coleman's work, has that been influential on you and your writing over the years? Absolutely. So that's that's kind of where I begin the book. Uh, chapter one is uh, Biblical Foundations for Generational Disciple Making, and, and the subtitle of that chapter is Jesus, the Carpenter Who Builds Disciple Makers. And I frame that chapter around Coleman's classic book, um, uh, master plan of evangelism. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is I never realized that that's what Ronnie was following <laughs> yeah. with me until about five or six years after he had started discipling me. I ended up as a student here at Southeastern seminary and was assigned that book and I'm reading it mm. and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, this is exactly what Ronnie did for me. <laughs> Um, you know, selection, association, consecration, impartation, demonstration, delegation, mm-hmm. supervision, mm-hmm. reproduction. It was, it was all there. And so, uh, in uh, that book impacted me in a profound way. I actually had the privilege back in, I think 2007, I was a part of the Lausanne, uh, working group over in Budapest, Hungary. And I got to spend an afternoon with Robert Coleman there in Budapest and just talking with him about uh, those principles and what they look like in his life. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that that work absolutely shaped my life in ministry. And I ended up using it with a lot of these contributors for generational disciple making. They are all uh, in some way related back to what I refer to in the book as my basement gang, a group of guys that I started gathering together and pouring my life into um, and using the master plan of evangelism as a model, uh, kind of a semi-objective way process uh, to uh, share my life with them and and keep them focused on uh, the word, on following Jesus and fishing 
Amen. You know, one of the things that I, I think really just kind of sets the tone for the book is is actually, I'm looking at it right now on the copyright page, it's it's the sketch of, of kind of, it basically is a sketch of Second uh, Timothy 2.2. 2. So you that's have, right. You've got, you've got the individual, you know, and then your disciples that come out of out of your work, and then you know other faithful uh, folks that come out of their work, and then others that come out out of them. And so you, you've got that, you know, that that multiplicative, multiplicative, excuse me, effect that's that's happening there. Um, so in chapter two of this book, you uh, you introduce four aspects uh, of how the gospel saves us. Uh, can you uh, unpack those a little bit and and kind of give us an, an idea of how your understanding uh, of the gospel and how it saves us shapes your approach to evangelism and disciple making? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, a long time ago, I realized that oftentimes when you talk to people in churches, they'll they'll talk about how the gospel saved them from sin, and you know that's what. We in uh, academia mm-hmm. all justification, right? And that's so important. Uh, but out in the world doing evangelism, you know, you come across people from time to time and say, they'll say, yeah, I had that experience. I was saved back then. And then um, you ask them where they're at now and they don't have any uh interaction with God, any Mm, uh, shaping influence uh, with the gospel in the current time. And so I tell my students here that you've got to bring Jesus into the present tense, right? And when we're talking with people, when we're doing evangelism. So the gospel saves us from sin, absolutely. Justification is necessary, but the gospel saves us for God. And that's uh, Mm. crucial that we have to understand that, you know, the gospel is not just some formula of um, uh, justification. It is a catalyst for a relationship. And I use 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, and kind of walk through that in, in uh, sharing my own story in chapter 2, how the gospel saved me from sin for God, and then into the church, uh, the community uh, in, through which my sanctification takes place, and ultimately on to mission. Um, so from sin for God into the church and on to mission with God. So we're saved for a relationship with God. And and if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus is going somewhere. He's seeking to save that which is lost, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's not as though mission is something for a few exceptional people. Rather, it's ordinary followers who are transformed into extraordinary fishers. Uh, when you're following Jesus. And so the gospel does all that. Never get over our need for the gospel. And so that's really kind of the the way that I set up. And even when I share the gospel with people, I bring elements of that into it, because if they're going to say yes to Jesus, they're saying yes to an ongoing relationship with God. They're saying yes to being a part of the community known as the church. That, uh, And they're saying yes to living on mission with Jesus. You know that that's so so encouraging just to hear how you how you break that down because because I think yeah you're exactly right we we have often communicated about what sin you know what we're saved from what Christ does to save us from sin um but we've often forgot about that he saves us for 
um, something on the other side of that, and that's that relationship with God and, and being called to live according you know, to His standard uh, in relationship and in, and in mission, mission with Him. It, one of the things that you said a moment ago, and it shows up in your subtitle, and that is you use the, the word ordinary, and you use the word extraordinary, that um, the gospel takes ordinary people and, and turns them into you know, extraordinary uh, fishers of men. I mean, that, I mean, that is just straight out of the book of Acts. I mean, you know, the, as you're, you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the accusation that's brought against the, the early apostles, you know, that they were, they were, they were ignorant men, uh, unschooled, unlearned there in Acts chapter 4, but the, uh, the religious leaders saw that they had been with Jesus. And then, you know, time we get over to chapter 17, you know, people are accusing these ordinary people uh, of the followers of the way uh, as having turned the world upside down. And uh, it's just, you know, it's just a, you know, a testimony to God's power in the, in the kingdom that uh, he he takes he takes the common people and uses us in um, in very uh, uncommon ways in the in the natural world of things, so to speak. Yeah, you have to. I mean, when you look at Second Corinthians five, that passage that I walk through and break down in chapter two, um, you know, if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he goes on and he says, you've been reconciled to God, and you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. God did it himself through Christ, and now you've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Now you're God's ambassadors. Mm-hmm. It's as though God is making his appeal through you. And, you know, I, I remind my students that that passage is written to the whole church mm-hmm. in Corinth, not not just to leaders, not just to pastors. It's written to the whole church that Every single member of the church there in Corinth, as messy as that church was, uh, was saved into a relationship, reconciled to God through the gospel. And now they've been entrusted with that ministry of reconciliation. They are God's ambassadors, and so are we. Can, can you share a little bit about the uh, the other contributors uh to the book, you you mentioned uh, you know your relationship with them and um, having been with them over over time. But uh, in what ways have you seen uh, these other uh, writers engage in um, making reproducing disciples? What, what what does that look like? What's your relationship been with them over the years? Yeah. So the the shape of the book, I, I authored the first two chapters and the last two chapters. So I kind of bookend it. Um, chapter three is uh, written by Ronnie, the, the chicken farmer. And he basically walks through the Sermon on the Mount and talks about uh, his focus on cultivating character mm-hmm. within young men that he invests in. Um, chapter four is uh, authored by probably my longest um, discipling relationship um, is a guy named Josh Reed. Josh um, was a banker in Georgia, um, was a part, uh, came to faith through uh, the ministry of our local church there outside of Atlanta. And he and his wife became a part of a Sunday school class that much later uh, in the early 2000s, Ronnie and I were co-teaching together, a bunch of young couples in that class. And so Ronnie and I both discipled Josh, and that relationship has been ongoing ever since. Josh ended up graduating from the seminary here um, and was the uh, senior consultant for evangelism and disciple-making for the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina for about five or six years. 
now he is a content pastor for one of the largest uh, evangelical churches in Nashville. Um, so Josh wrote chapter four and talks about uh, the emphasis there is on uh, how he had been an investment banker, but now he invests in relationships as an equipper. Um, chapter five is a, a guy that was actually in my high school social studies class. He was in my AP U.S. history class. I taught when I was 24 years old, a guy named Larry Lyon. Um, he is uh, an incredible guy. He actually was led to faith by another guy that I had led to faith hmm. wow. um, that was one of my high school students. And when I came back from serving overseas with the IMB, Larry um, became a part of a group of men that I started discipling and he ended up coming to Southeastern seminary and graduated, went all the way through his PhD. And Larry is now a vice president at new Orleans seminary. Hmm. Wow! And, uh, so his chapter focuses in on disciple making in the mind, how a student turned into a scholar. Um, then the next chapter is Nathan Knight, another guy from the basement gang there, um, <laughs> uh, old group of guys that I invested in. He was a salesman uh, there in Atlanta, and 12 years ago, he planted Restoration Church in, uh, Mar- in Washington, D.C., right across from American University. And so his chapter is on uh, disciple-making in the church. Another guy named Justin White, um, I love that brother. Um, his chapter seven is, um, he used to be a, a computer network specialist and now he's a network strategist uh, as a missionary, lives in Nairobi, Kenya, and equips leaders all across Central and North Africa to plant reproducing churches as a disciple maker. And then the last of the contributors is uh, my most recent PhD grad, a guy named Matt Hurt. Uh, Matt uh, served with the Navy. He was a submariner with the Navy and um, was an atheist and ended up coming to faith in Christ. And I got to invest in him for about a decade uh, on every level of his uh, academic development. And now um, Matt and his wife, Heather, were just appointed uh, by the IMB to uh, be a missions professor at the largest Baptist seminary on the continent of Africa. So he's actually training Nigerians mm. uh, to do missions to unreached peoples all over the continent of Africa. Wow, this book is just a, a fresh uh, fresh perspective on disciple-making. It's, it's not a work that just talks about theory and then gives us some, some principles and says, hey, go and, go and practice this reader, but you know, George has, has, has incorporated uh, other contributors uh, into the writing of this book that he, in fact, has poured into over the years. And so you, you see, as you read through this book, uh, not just not just the concepts, but uh, you actually see the fruit of a great deal of the application of the things that uh, that George has done in in his life. Uh, George, one other question I definitely want to ask you before uh, before I let you go. Um, chapter ten. Uh, why did you feel like you needed to include a chapter on common questions related to mentorship or mentoring others and uh, and this thing called generational disciple making what 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 was the reason for including that into the book yeah you know teaching for 14 years here and being involved in disciple making and training out 
I was a faith-based missionary for about six and a half years. I served with the IMB. I have seen the same questions come up and, quite frankly, the same excuses come up over and over and over again Mm -hmm. uh, through the years of trying to equip others to make reproducing disciples. And so uh, in that chapter, I address some of those common questions, things like, um, can you disciple someone who's older than you? Um, you know, I, I faced that uh, when I was serving as an uh, interim pastor of a 200-year-old legacy church in Georgia. I was in my early 30s, and I was investing in men who were twice my age, um, but giving them a vision. And so I just kind of walked through some, uh, some approaches, some uh, nuggets of wisdom on how to do that. Um, again, there's a host of questions that I address in that chapter, but they're just recurring themes that I've seen pop up over and over again uh, throughout my ministry. Now, you, you you know you mentioned the the all the different authors and contributors and the stories and how this is kind of a, a different approach to discussing disciple making. The one thing I do want to get across is even though all of these people are, you know, related to me through a disciple-making network, uh, the main thrust of the book is um, that you don't make disciples of you. You make disciples of Jesus. And when you do that, when you're making disciples of Jesus, basically you're helping a person to become who they were created to be. And it's going to look different. So if you you interviewed those um, five guys that I've invested into, uh, that are in this book, they're all very different people. They have very different skill sets, very different gifts, very different talents. And um, all of that is accentuated. And basically what I'm trying to get at in the book is that there's no cookie cutter mm, approach. Yeah. As you're discipling people, you just use the methodology of Jesus and the example of the Apostle Paul, which I cover in chapter 9. And, and be an encourager, which I also talk about in chapter nine, addressing uh, Barnabas and his ministry. Um, you do those things and you're basically going to bring a person to a place through the power of the spirit to where they can flourish and be who God created them to be. And just keep in front of them the vision all the time that, yes, be who God created you to be and then multiply, multiply, invest in other people, leverage your gifts your influence, uh, whatever it is uh, for the kingdom of God by being a generational disciple maker. My guest today on Strike the Match has been George Robinson, a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We, of course, have been talking about his book, Generational Disciple Making, How Ordinary Followers of Jesus Are Transformed into Extraordinary Fishers of Men. I want to encourage you, listener, to get a copy of this book. You can find it wherever your fine reading materials are sold, and so make sure you check out Generational Disciple Making. Uh, George, if people want to track you down online, uh, what can they? how can they find you out there in uh, the world of the internets? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much only on Twitter. I do Facebook with my wife, but uh, Twitter is at Dr. G.G. Robinson. At Dr. G.G. Robinson. Yeah, that's D-R-G-G-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. Fantastic. Brother, thank you so much for being with us, and keep up the great kingdom work. Thanks a lot, J.D. I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, 
I appreciate your most recent books that you've put out as well uh, on theology of mission and on apostolic imagination. Uh, you got got a lot of people talking, and I'm super excited about those conversations. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.